Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, did it, did it, diddle it, bong. Hi guys, welcome to the latest episode of Slaughter. Welcome to the Passive Aggressive Podcast. <laughs> yeah. This week we're going to be mainly talking about that bitch. <laughs> she knows who she is. Uh, that sounds like some sort of podcast related aggro but it's it, just life aggro it's just life aggro um other life <laughs> aggros we're slaves to technology and the only way to free ourselves is to send bombs in the mail <laughs> what the fuck is this episode i've been watching manhunt unabomber <laughs> and i feel like i identify with ted kaczynski way too much like it's people listening going these girls have joined a fucking cult i think like honestly Slot put a soundtrack to something like a bit of cinematic camera and i'm sold like i am riding the kaczynski truth train this is why you should only watch nice things this is why no one should teach me how to make bombs <laughs> for reals no not really but honestly it's on <laughs> netflix and if you watch it like it doesn't, they're not trying to make Ted Kaczynski seem like a nice person. He killed only like three people. So what? I find my perception slightly skewed because I was like, only three. But he did maim a lot of people. Um, <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. But it, they do a really good job of portraying his character. Stop idolizing. A, I'm not idolizing Technically him. a serial was- killer. Three people... He was fucked up. Like the government did experiments on him when no he was 16 years old. Oh, he just shit. wanted someone to love. What he just of- needed love. I could have loved him. <laughs> what kind of experiments? Like mind control. It was part of MK Ultra, I think. So like when he was at university, they um, he had a guy who's his therapist and then they would like practice torture techniques to see if they could break him. Fuck um yeah watch it it was really good and obviously it's all based on a true story and then you can start researching ted kaczynski and then like google image what he looks like now and then try and see if there's a porno called the unabomber there isn't i was disappointed <laughs> it's like a week's worth of work bit homophobic doesn't have to be a gay porno they can stick a dick up a woman's ass equality <laughs> anyway Watch Manhunt Unabomber on Netflix is the story of this tale. Don't send bombs to people in the post. I'm not condoning sending bombs to people in the post or putting dicks in anyone. Unless they ask for it. (laughs) 
And that means like verbal consent, not like just with All right, their just eyes. Stop, just stop. <laughs> right. So let's let's go on to a safer subject. Have you got a murder to talk about? I have got a murder to talk about. <laughs> So I've had a bit of a shitty week. So to cheer myself up, I thought I'm going to do a murder from one of my favorite books, Killer Doctors. I'm going to say one of my favorite killers. <laughs> no, not a favorite killer, but Killer Doctors, The Ultimate Betrayal of Trust by Kenneth Gibson. Classic. Love that guy. He is not of the PC generation. And for that, I love him. You don't give a shit. Yeah. But so this is... um. He- a story about a guy called Dr. William Palmer. I've never heard of him before. Palmer, Palmer, Palmer Oil or Palmer Ham? P-A-L-M-E-R. Okay. Um, so he was around in the 1840s. So a historic case, quite high numbers of suspected murder victims. And there is actually a lovely period drama starring Alf, not Alfie Allen, starring what's the main Allen called? Allen. I don't Lily know. Allen's dad. What's he called? Oh, Roger Allen. Nope. <laughs> Robert Allen. To start with, Dave R? Allen. David Allen, bro. Lily Allen's dad is I, in it. I touched a signed picture of David Attenborough this week. It's the highlight of my week, genuinely. How did you get your like, hands David on it? David Attenborough's touched this. I got one of my students to write to him and ask for it. Nice. Um. So yeah. So there's a lovely period drama about it. I can't believe I hadn't heard of this story, but. It's a good one. And so he was mainly, as a doctor, obviously your main method of murder is quite obvious. You're going to be medicating people to death, which he did. And it's said that the phrase, watch your poison, sort of originated from this case. Oh. Because... So it's got to be in a drink then. So he was born on the 21st of October in 1824 in Rugeley in Staffordshire. It's quite a... It's an area that they basically have a brummy accent, but no one really talks about it. And so his father wasn't really an educated man, but he'd risen from being a sawyer to a man of wealth and status, having made his fortune as a timber dealer. Um, Though it's thought that he was sourcing much of his timber illegally, sort of just going onto other people's land and chopping down their trees and selling it on. William Palmer's father did die when he was 12, but because he'd amassed such a fortune, it meant that William was able to continue at grammar school until he left at the age of 17, which was quite good going in the 1800s. Oh no, grammar grammar school was free, wasn't it? Yeah, it was free, but it meant that he didn't have to go to work and support his family or anything. So he became an apprentice at a chemist's, Evans and Evans, but his love of money meant that he was soon sacked because he'd been stealing the payment that came in the post. I always find it weird when there's two people, clearly like married or brothers, who set up a business. And they're like, let's call it Evans. But there's two of us. We've got Evans and Evans. Evans will do. Right? Yeah, it, like, it covers both of you. I never thought <laughs> It's a blanket that. term. Marks and Marks. It's just, it, there's no need. Marks yeah. and Spencer. All right, you both want a shout out in there. But when your name's the same... I just blown my mind. I didn't even think of that. There you go. So it was only really the fact that his mum agreed to pay back all the money that he'd stolen that stopped him from going to prison over that. So his mum seemed to make excuses for his behaviour all the time. She was satisfied that he'd only stolen money, not because he was greedy or because he was vindictive, but because he did it for romantic reasons. 
who was in love with his girlfriend. She was older than him, called Miss Jane Widnall. And he basically just wanted to spoil her. So he can't be blamed for stealing other people's money. So it probably was the only thing keeping Jane interested in Palmer because she dumped him as soon as she found out that he wouldn't inherit any of his father's money until he turned 21 in three years time. Like that's not long to wait. Yeah, three years. Nope, not not hanging around till then. She'll lose her bloom. Now, I see things on Facebook and it says this was four years ago. I'm still wearing that outfit now. Yeah, yeah. I'm still digesting that now. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, but his mum was like convinced that he should be cut out for medicine obviously that's a nice status position and she wanted to raise them up so she then got him an apprenticeship for a Dr. Tilecoat though this was also quite short lived he was unreliable as an apprentice as most apprentices are (laughs) Um, he had a bad reputation locally for just putting it about quite a bit what, into, into ladies? Into ladies. Into vaginas? Yeah, he was putting it in them, out of them, shaking it all around them. <laughs> just in the vicinity. Just wafting. This is how I say hello. <laughs> I'm just going to wave my dick around, and if it goes inside, it's your own fault. Pheromones. So he even burned his bridges in the village, really. He rekindled the romance with Jane Widnall, and they eloped together. But he did this using money that he'd stolen from Dr. Tilecoat. He once again escaped persecution because Mother Dearest said, you must come home and I'm going to repay all the money. So she's pretty much enabling his bad behavior Mm. at this point. And this time she went ahead and secured him a place as a walking pupil at Stafford Infirmary, which... I want to know, like, how does... She's obviously not giving any references for him because he's stolen from the last two people he worked for. Yeah. So either his mum is faking references or she's really good at (laughs) blowjobs. Who would take on that kid? No one. At a hospital where people's lives are at stake. He's like, "Mm, he's unreliable, but go on. So he enrolled in 1844 when he was age 20. And even at this stage, he was showing an interest in poisons particularly though he wasn't allowed to take any home for personal use. So around here, the timeline for William Palmer gets a bit muddled up. There was things reported in a newspaper at the time and later. And so basically there's two versions of the next section of his life. So one says, uh, mainly in the newspapers, that at 1946, one point here, he met a friend called George Abley. And they went for a drink at the Lamb and Flag Inn. And they were drinking brandy together that night. And then Palmer said he was going to go. He basically did what I do to you and said, oh, I'll just go and get you a half. And then came back with like three pints. Oh, that is a dangerous concoction. My most drunk nights have been where where I've said, oh, I won't have another drink. And you've come back with a double. She knows what she's doing. She'll just say, (laughs) I'm not going to buy another one. I want to be sober. I'm like, too late. I've bought them all. (laughs) Too fucking late. So that's basically what Palmer did. Brought back more than they'd asked for. And then after they downed them all, Abley left the inn because he was saying he stumbled off to go be sick. And then... Yeah, that's usually how my nights ended up as well. (laughs) And he was found later on dead in a stable. Oh, fuck. So following this, Palmer was sort of viewed with suspicion in the village. No one could really prove anything. 
but he then left to continue his studies at Bartholomew's in London, which makes sense that there was this bad sort of situation, so then he moved to London. The other version of the story is that he, for unknown reasons, was studying in London, graduated as a doctor, then came back to Rugeley. Um, And this is probably because there was a later date on the death certificate than was reported in the newspapers. So it's confusing. In this version of the story, he challenged George Abley to a drinking competition. And it was sort of said that he was trying to force him to get wasted, force him to get wasted. Um, But then again, he was left. Everyone went to search for him and he was found dead out in the cold. So George Abley had been a plumber. He was 27 years of age, which to me, I would have thought, you know, young, sturdy. But I guess plumbing in the 1840s was basically like wading in sewage. Mm. Not really the sanitation we have today. Do they say what he died of then? Was it the cold, lying in the cold? Well, this is the thing. So he was described as being a pale, sickly sort of guy. And the inquest concluded that it was natural causes. Oh, he's going to die soon anyway. Yeah, there's like, it's quite reasonable to expect. He doesn't look well. He's not a, he's not particularly strong constitution. He's been drinking heavily on an empty stomach. He's passed out in the cold. So it just sort of happened Mm. is what they went for. I would have been fucked then because I've always been pale. And do you know when I, I used to go and fake it at the school reception and be like, oh, I don't think I'm well. I'd always go, you do look pale. <laughs> you do you do look sickly. I need <laughs> it's to just see my actual fucking, vomit just my face. going home. <laughs> yeah. But however, the foreman of the inquest jury, he believed that Palmer had an ulterior motive in that he'd taken a fancy to George Abley's wife when he treated her as an outpatient at the hospital. And obviously this couldn't be entered into formal evidence, so it was sort of just his say-so and like rumours on the jury, so it couldn't be taken into consideration. But he said that she refused his advances. Were his advances just following him down the corridor, just waving his penis around? (laughs) Who knows? But she said she was loyal to George, she wasn't interested, and then suspected that that's probably why George had... um, that's probably why Palmer had tried to get George out of the picture. Like, maybe if her husband was dead, she'd like me. Maybe if she has no other options. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's also said that while studying for this um, doctor's qualification... <laughs> like, yeah. I just like, who? Is that what it's called? Um, Do- the doctor's qualification. <laughs> while he was studying <laughs> to be a doctor, um, William Palmer found the time to father at least 14 illegitimate children. Whoa. Though he put his medical knowledge to good use by working I as a... I wonder what you're going to say. He put his medical knowledge into a lot of ladies. <laughs> well, he worked as an abortionist on the side. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, of his own children? Yeah. It's basic supply and demand, isn't it? <laughs> Like, I'll make the babies. I'll make the supply. I'll get paid to sort them out after. It's a self-sustaining industry. I don't know why you're looking so shocked. I think if a guy... I'd want mates rates at least. (laughs) If you got me pregnant and you're an abortionist, I'd want it for free. Yeah. But 1846, he had qualified and he had moved back to Rugeley, where he then opened his own medical practice. Now, he did quite well at the beginning. So Palmer was able to hire a man named Ben Thurley to sort of lighten his load. But he did that so significantly that Palmer was then able to pretty much spend the majority of his time gambling at the racetrack. 
So he wasn't really content with placing small bets. Um, Palmer eventually had a stable of 15 racehorses and he'd rinsed his entire inheritance from his father when he was 21. And he'd run up so many debts that eventually he was banned from running his horses or selling them. I mean, that's bad. They yeah. wouldn't even accept his money any, like for anything because mm. they knew he was a bit of a dodgy dealer. So October 1847, Palmer married a lady named Anne Thornton. So she was a ward in chancery. So basically the court had appointed her a guardian after her father had died. And they would give her an income of £250 a year that when she married would go to her husband. But her unfortunate circumstances came about. Her father had been an officer in the Indian army and he'd actually killed himself. And weirdly, he had, I think it was four brothers and three of them also killed themselves. I think that does happen sometimes, though, that you can have a family where there is a lot of suicide. Well, Kenneth has opinions on this. He's not alone in these opinions. These are also shared by the period drama that I watched. (laughs) But Kenneth lays the blame with Anne's mother. Oh, God, how fucking scary was she? Well, how? We all jumped out the window. So here's a quote from Kenneth. Quote, no doubt the colonel's death was at least partly to escape Anne's mother, Mary, a foul-mouthed alcoholic brawler who'd been his former housekeeper and mistress and never stopped cursing him for refusing to marry her. Like, sounds like most mothers, to be honest. He'd been in a position of power. He'd got her pregnant. And then just because she said, will you marry me and make me respectable? I was like, well, the only thing to do is kill myself. It's not her fault. Yeah. She can curse him as much as she likes. It's not the sole reason, but I think the consensus is pretty much that he killed himself. Like, rather than marry the woman you have a child with, you're going to die. Like, how bad could she have actually been? Yeah. Kill Um, her. (laughs) Fucking hell. Like, if someone's got to... Anyway. (laughs) When you said how bad... Is would she have had to have been? Um, I immediately pictured. Oh, what's her name? Off the weakest link, Anne Robinson. Yeah, that's <laughs> just like ah. if Anne Robinson was begging you to marry her, you'd be like, "This is it. I'm going to end it all." From zero to ten, my I think my ten is Anne Robinson. That's, that's I did not know that about you. I didn't know that about me. So Palmer had first met Anne when he worked with Dr. Talco and they would visit the school where Anne was. They were only like a couple of years older than uh, apart, so it wasn't like pedo levels, but they had stayed in contact over the years. So they were married. Anne was clearly in love from her letters and she was incredibly grateful that a sort of middle upper class doctor was interested in this, obviously a bastard at the time. So she gave birth to five of Palmer's children, though tragically, four of them died of very sudden convulsions. I mean, it's tricky to know if that's suspect at those times. I mean, it's a bit suspect they died of the same thing, but kids were sort of dropping like flies. Yeah, infant mortality wasn't great in Victorian times. It was probably slightly better in like the wealthier, just because it was cleaner. Yeah. But... Like you say, it's more, it's an easy out. Yeah. Because they, babies did just die. They'd lose a lot of children and then they'd name future children 
after the children that had died as well. That wasn't seen as bad taste. You're like, I'm going to get a Mary no matter what. (laughs) But there were rumors of foul play in the deaths of the children. There was a cleaning lady who worked for the Palmers and she was convinced that William Palmer was giving the babies poison when she wasn't present as they'd all died when he was like, oh, leave them with me, I'll look after them. Mm. And that's when they would have the convulsions. She apparently ran into a pub, convinced that he'd dipped his finger in poison and then put his finger in honey so that the babies would suck it. But she had no evidence of it. She hadn't seen it. So nothing was done. Anne's alcoholic mother, Mary, she lived near them in Stafford and she lived quite simply. She wasn't really looking after herself and she just lived on her own, let her house go. It was basically like hoarders. She had more cats than she did flannels. (laughs) So it's thought that Palmer was convinced that the mother Mary had inherited Anne's father, the colonel. He thought that he she'd inherited his nine properties following his suicide. And he felt that she's not really doing anything with them. She's wasting away in this one little house. We should have a share of this. So 6th of January, 1849, Mary was invited to come and stay with the Palmers so they could look after her a bit more. But once she arrived there, she very quickly became seriously ill and died about sort of 10 to 12 days later. So an elderly colleague of Palmer, Dr. Bamford, he was like in his late 70s, early 80s. He was partially blind, um, but he was Palmer's go-to guy for death certificates. So he was called over and he named the cause of death as being due to apoplexy, which no doubt that's what many mothers die of. My mum would threaten to die of apoplexy on a regular basis just for drama's sake. (laughs) Can you bring it on yourself? What is apoplexy? It's like a hysteria, isn't it? Like, yeah. Upset lady. (laughs) Um, There's more to it than that, but. She died of her period. (laughs) I thought I was going to die of my period (laughs) this week. She died of womitis. Or at least kill another person. (laughs) I think you really did. So. It was soon discovered that Mary had not inherited any of the colonel's houses. So Palmer was not particularly pleased. He killed her for nothing. Or so we think. So then there followed a series of unfortunately sudden and suspicious deaths around Palmer. Though he was never formally investigated for any of them. 1850, there was Leonard Bladen. He was a bookmaker and he was owed quite a bit of money by Palmer. So they'd been to Chester races together, and then Leonard had come to stay at Palmer's house, where, of course, he became suddenly quite ill. Bladen's wife then heard about this and rushed to Rougely, and she was there in time to see her husband delirious and die this quite painful death. She then noticed that his record book, where he kept, obviously, details of who owed him money and things like that was missing and he'd already written home saying oh I did quite well at the races I'm going to bring home a thousand pounds or so but he only had 15 pounds on him she couldn't find it so she then went to Palmer and said "Mm, didn't you owe him quite a bit of money can I have it back Mm. and Palmer said I already paid it him and he spent it while we were at the races so 
managed to wangle his way yeah, out of that convenient. one. Convenient. 1852, a man named Joseph Bentley died three days after a drinking competition with Palmer. The doctor had gone to Mrs. Bentley, who was obviously clearly distraught, and had given her some pills to calm her down. So whether it was like out of hysteria or just the fact that she was suspicious, she threw the pills out of the window into the garden. So and the whole garden died. Well, the next day, several chickens were found oh. dead in the garden. I mean, couldn't that just be legitimate if a chicken has a pill? If a chicken has a paracetamol, does it die? It explodes. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. It depends what pill. Gets a, it gets rid of its headache. You can give a dog paracetamol. Like legally? Yeah. How do you well, know not, a dog's got a headache? I know that's a problem. Leg ache. It's like legs hanging off. Give it a paracetamol. It's fine. So, 1854 now. So, Mrs. Ann Palmer, very like her mother, was also taken by a sudden bout of apoplexy. So, she began vomiting straight after breakfast, which had been served by Palmer. And which this was on the 19th of September, 1854. But she died a week later. She was also 27 years old. So Palmer's life insurance policy that he'd taken out just earlier that year was able to pay out a tidy sum of £13,000. Whoa. So this amount was enough to tide him over and keep the wolves from the door because of his mounting debts, but it wasn't enough to keep him going with the lifestyle that he had. So he began in earnest to try and find an insurance company that would insure the life of his brother, Walter Palmer. So Walter wasn't in great shape. He was an alcoholic as well. And he'd also gambled and squandered his inheritance from his father. So he was like, fine, you can take an insurance policy out on me for 400 pounds. Like he didn't really care. Um, Of course, William never paid him that money. But he managed to keep Walter sober long enough and took him to a doctor friend of his who said, yes, this is a fit and healthy man so that he could actually get the insurance policy he wanted. And that was on the 5th of April that year. So by the August, Walter was back on the drink and died following a particularly heavy binging session. So not only did William Palmer immediately begin trying to claim on the insurance policy, he also went to Walter's wife, Agnes, informed her that her husband had died and then said, mm, by the way, he did owe me £300. Could you pay it back now? Fuck. Agnes was like, can you piss off? Yeah. <laughs> so she refused to my pay. literally just found out about my husband. Have you heard of that scam that people used to do? That would, um, if someone died, then they would go around. I don't, I might have, this might have been on a TV show and people shit. But they'd go around and... Um, because you, obviously you didn't have the internet or um, magazine shops, they'd be people who sell pornography and they'd go around to the widow and say, um, we're sorry that your husband died, but he also owed us £300 for pornography. And because it was so shameful, the widows would often pay it because it was embarrassing just to get rid of these guys. And they'd make some tidy money. Sounds legitimate. Sounds a shitty thing to do. 
That is very mean. But very clever. The insurance policy didn't pay out either, though, for Walter. Mainly because William Palmer was getting so arsy about it. They were like, mm, a bit too grabby here. <laughs> yeah. So Palmer tried again to insure the life of someone. And this time he tried to take out a policy on his friend, George Bates. But insurance companies were now incredibly suspicious and they hired two detectives to look into Palmer's claims. So he got wise to this and Palmer just ditched this plan and tried something different. His debts were now mounting even more. He was also being blackmailed by a former mistress that he'd performed an abortion on, promised to marry, and then didn't. So she was threatening to release 34 letters that he'd sent her. So he was in serious, desperate times at this point. What was in those letters? Just details about the abortion, about their affair, um, things like that. So 13th of November... 1855 Palmer went to the races with a friend John Cook to watch Cook's horse run it was called Pole Star Pole Star not a stripper <laughs> I think reference to the North Star right. um, and the horse raced and it won so it earned Cook the sum of £3,000 which is around it's a couple of hundred thousand in today's yeah. money the following day Palmer and Cook were drinking brandy together and Cook suddenly got up and said, something's been put in my drink. My throat is burning. Shit. And obviously Palmer was like, sit down, it's fine. But after a bit more time, he began to feel really, really ill. So the next day, Palmer convinced Cook to come back to Rugely with him so that he could look after him. But Cook refused to go and stay at his house. He said, I'll stay at an inn. So he yes. St- so he stayed at the Talbot Arms, which was opposite where Palmer lived. Where Palmer happened to work in the kitchen. (laughs) Well, Palmer was treating him with pills. And every time he would take a dose of medication, Cook's condition worsened for the next few days. And Cook himself started to blame the illness on the prescriptions from Palmer. Yeah. So he had to then become a bit more sneaky. He went to a woman in town and asked her, can you make me a broth for my friend who's ill? He took the broth home, poured it into a different container... And took it back to the woman and said, "Can now can you take this broth to the mm. inn and say it's from a man called Jeremiah Smith, a solicitor. And that's a real guy. So Cook would have been like, oh, okay, it's from him. Oh, yeah, but why is he sending you a broth? That's pretty weird. Exactly. <laughs> and it's obviously It's new. my homemade broth that I couldn't bring myself. So I got a stranger to bring it. That's very odd. Yeah. He obviously was like, he won't eat it if it's from me. Because I'm trying to kill him. (laughs) So Cook had a spoonful, thinking it's Jeremiah's broth, and was sick (laughs) immediately after Jeremiah's Jeremiah's broth. broth. Isn't that like what Michael Jackson called his spunk? (laughs) Like Jeremiah's broth. Uh, I'm just going to have a little bit of Jeremiah's broth right now. So um, Cook was sick immediately after taking it, and a maid just quite innocently had a spoonful herself when she saw it was going to spare, and she was sick straight after oh. eating. Oh, it I she's like, "Oh, free food." Palmer then went to London for a few days. He went to collect the Pole Star winnings on Cook's behalf. While he was away, he also met with a chemist on his return to procure some more strychnine, which is a type of poison. At the time, not really. Um, quite well known that hadn't been involved in any murder cases at this point 
So workers at the inn noticed how dramatically Cook's health improved with Palmer gone. He felt instantly better and seemed to be improving. Cook's own doctor, a Dr. Jones, he was sent for to sort of avoid Palmer looking after him. But Jones then spoke to Palmer, who also called in his elderly colleague, Bamford, for his dodgy death certificates. And together, the three men agreed on a prescription that they felt happy with. Bamford prepared it and Palmer collected it. So it took hours and hours to persuade John Cook to actually take the medication. And once he had, his body went into convulsion. So much so that his head touched his feet. Like he was jerking backwards that much. Now this is a typical um, sign of poisoning with strychnine. And within a couple of hours, John Cook was finally dead. So Bamford's been a shit as well there then. Oh yeah, I think it's, I think he's more inept yeah. than than involved but if he in went it. To he's a bit of like a stooge it. for him. He went to prepare it, but do you think he? I think he prepared it thinking being totally trusting. But and he was Palmer blind, wasn't Went he? and collected it, and then was able to tamper. He was just sort of ailing sight, not right. proper blind, not proper blind, not um, real blind. John Cook's stepfather, when he heard about this, was very suspicious of the sudden death. He demanded that an autopsy was uh, carried out on the body, Mm. mainly after realizing that Palmer's made all the funeral arrangements before any of us even got here. Before he even died. Palmer is a beneficiary in my stepson's will. And John's record book of his bookmaking accounts is missing. And the banner saying, yes, he's dead, I'm rich. (laughs) Alice didn't help. So this autopsy seems absolutely insane. It was supervised by the same doctor who had signed off Walter Palmer, the alcoholic, as being fit and healthy. So he was mates with William. Uh, So the guy who was in on the insurance scam was in charge. It was carried out by one of his apprentices who'd never done an autopsy before and was so nervous that he'd had enough brandies to basically Mm. knock him out and William Palmer was present at the autopsy sort of helping out so he was able to sort of sabotage it he was apparently he was jostling the surgeons as they worked so that they were dropping the samples he was able to pick uh, they were obviously going into the stomach to look at the contents so they could text uh, so they could test it with for toxicology stuff. But when they got the stomach out, he was knocking them. They dropped some. He picked it up and was able to leave the room with it before what? anyone could stop him and then came back in with it. So he was tampering mm. left, right and center. Luckily, the results were so sort of inconclusive that they wanted a second opinion and another postmortem was ordered and carried out. This time they took samples from the stomach and these showed the presence of antimony, um, a favorite of the teacup poisoner. Yeah, Graham Young. Yes. And the original toxicologist who'd done the first test, he still claimed it was strychnine poisoning as the cause of death. And he wrote a letter with all of his reports to the Rougely authorities outlining what he'd found. Amazingly... Palmer had a friend who worked in the post office who was able to intercept the letter and steal it before it arrived. Um, The postmaster was Samuel Cheshire and he was later sentenced to two years in prison for his perversion of justice in this case. Eventually, they had an inquest into the death and 
following that and the discovery of a forged check from Palmer, he was arrested for the murder of John Cook on the 15th of December, 1856. He did try going on hunger strike while he was in jail, but he relented as soon as they threatened him with force feeding, which at the minute in class we're doing about the suffragettes. I'm like, bitch, you can't even stand what they did. <laughs> I haven't told the kids about force feeding yet. I'm a bit nervous. Yeah. Well, in case they try it. A little bit. Huh? <laughs> Eat this donut. Shove the cheese down your throat. <laughs> Um, So as part of their investigation, the body of his wife, Anne, and his brother, Walter, were both exhumed. So Anne had been dead for about 15 months. She was still in quite good condition. And the samples from her stomach, they found lethal doses of antinomony. Walter, possibly due to his shitty lifestyle, the fact that he basically fermented his insides um he'd only been dead for four months but he was absolutely rotten so when they opened up the casket you shouldn't drink kids yeah apparently the gases that were released made everyone immediately vomit they'd done it in the talbot arms inn the same inn across (laughs) from palmer's house i don't know why slap it on the table yeah pretty much and then they said that business really suffered because they could (laughs) not get the smells out for like years afterwards they could just smell his rotten flesh it's almost like um seeing into the future isn't it like a reason not to buy a drink it's like classical conditioning isn't it like this is what you're gonna end up smelling like smell this pub that's your insides (laughs) yeah so on him, there was no evidence of poison found, basically because he was rotten as shit. But they said that this probably shows that it's cyanide poisoning, which leaves no trace. So while awaiting murder trial, Palmer had to go to court on a separate issue where a money lender was claiming payment on William Palmer's debts, but he was claiming it from his mother, Sarah Palmer, who was the guarantor on the checks. Now, Sarah had never signed these checks, so she said, it's not me. And when William Palmer took the stand, he claimed that his deceased wife, Anne, had been the one who'd forged his mother's signature. And so the case was dropped. Mm. Which is incredibly disrespectful. You've murdered your wife and then you've blamed her for your forgeries. Just like the final kick. There's no way I could fucking forge my mum's signature it's so tricky will's signature i'm not even joking fuck it i'm gonna say it on the podcast because he deserves to be have his identity <laughs> so a- stolen it's a straight line <laughs> like it's a w for will and then <laughs> and then a horizontal line mm. and he was like yeah but i can do it the same every time it's yeah, not so the same everyone. every time it's terrible He's got no money, but fuck it. <laughs> if anyone wants 20 quid, W, straight line. It's, he Honestly, he, he won't learn until <laughs> So the trial began on the 14th of May, 1856. It was an incredibly grand affair, a huge spectacle, and many members of the aristocracy had come to see it. Um, partly because the news made such a big deal out of it because he was quite a well-to-do upper-class doctor, not just some ragtag. And also the trial had been moved from Rugeley down to London. So obviously it was a bit more of a society event. So this was, like I said before, this was the first ever trial where strychnine was said to be the poison of choice as the murder. And there were huge arguments. A lot of the evidence in the defense and the prosecution was about what the actual symptoms were of strychnine poisoning in a human because it just hadn't been observed enough. So basically they knew 
it was violent convulsions, but they were arguing over what caused it. And eventually they decided that the only other thing that could have caused the same sort of convulsions as seen in John Cook would have been if he had tetanus. But if he had tetanus, they were saying then there must have been some sort of wound uh, where he'd caught it that would still be present at the time of the convulsions, which there wasn't. So it was also confirmed that Palmer had bought the strychnine. He just said he bought it because he wanted to poison a dog. Oh, that's all right then. Yeah, whose dog? Can lock him up for that. So it still seemed quite unlikely that he was going to be found guilty. There wasn't really any really? hard evidence. He was a doctor, so of course he's administering drugs. There wasn't the there wasn't enough toxicology results to say. Um it was a lot of circumstantial evidence that he was there, then they got worse. And mm. he'd bought poison, they think it's this poison. But there was so much circumstantial evidence that it was hard yeah. not to think. Also, at this time, um, it was still precedent where the defense didn't give any closing arguments. So they thought, fuck, we can't even sum up what we believe. Despite all this, though, the jury took less than two hours to find the guilty verdict. William Palmer was sentenced to be hanged on the 14th of June, 1856. So while away to be hanged, he'd hinted that he'd murdered other people. He'd said, well, I didn't use cyanide to kill them, but he never said that he actually had. It's thought that he had been responsible for at least the deaths of 14 people. 30,000 people came to the execution in Rougeley. And at the time, the town only had a population of 4,500. <laughs> so it's like they flooded it. Yeah. It's all those Londoners. He was a bit of a joker. Uh, when he his last words, he went up to the gallows, looked up at the rope and said to the executioner, are you sure it's safe? <laughs> that is quite close. Yeah, apparently he just like in the crowd balloon. lolling along. Um, he was the last prisoner in the UK to be buried without a coffin. Oh, really? Yeah, they literally just shoved them naked into a sack oh. and buried them. But he was the last one it happened to. Well, there were a lot of them, didn't they? Just stick them under a slab. I'm sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, he, he did get a death mask made. Oh, and yeah. at the time that Kenneth was writing, it was held in Staffordshire County Museum. Oh. So if you're in Staffordshire, hit me up with the info of whether it's still there. I'm not Googling it. <laughs> and that's that story. I liked it. <laughs> So, it's my go. And I have decided to do Mark Hobson. He's got a very similar name to a friend of ours when we were younger and we used to knock on his door <laughs> and bug him all the time. Why don't we just... You'd be like, can we come in? Can we come in? It was before mobile phones, wasn't it? So we couldn't just text and say... Because he lived around the corner from me and we'd just literally turn up and say, Hi! We would force him to hang out with us for long periods of time. Although he did fancy me for a while, so I think it was proximity more than anything. So I'm I'm doing Mark Hobson, who is I did look and no one's done him on a podcast, but he is quite a he did quite a, a it's quite a good one. So I am a pioneer, delving into him headfirst for the first time. A lot of the 
information I got because there wasn't a lot online there were just some really short articles so I got from the YouTube documentary married to a spree killer which very much went from the point of view of the wife and children is it one where they do reconstructions no thankfully but um unlike uh, frenemies on netflix which is another shitty show that i watched the other day frenemies it was a bath show so yeah not like worth the actual tv yeah like the quality is way lower like that what was that film i watched that drag queen film cherry pop no nope. hate it <laughs> it's awful <laughs> and then the bloopers are just them stopping because the trains coming past so mark hobson was born in 1969 Ewa, in wakefield in yorkshire and that's the worst please don't and that's my yorkshire. Best y- y- yorkshire 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 what's the time oh god uh, <laughs> throwback <laughs> it's callback it's callback it? um <laughs> Throwbacks like the nineties, like throwback to the nineties, oh. throwback to my childhood. So um, he can be described as a spree killer, um, and because all of his crimes just came at once. So in two thousand and four, he was working as a bin man in Selby, which there's nothing wrong with in North Yorkshire. Um, the fact that you had <laughs> when there's nothing wrong with <laughs> suggests that you do think there's something wrong with it. We told you there would be passive aggression in this episode, <laughs> yeah. and there it was. Lucy hates Yorkshire bin men. <laughs> they're gonna come at me. Um, yeah, they're gonna tip rubbish all over your house. That there's nothing. It's just it's one of those jobs that the kids at school are like. Yeah, I don't want to be a bin man when I grow up. Uh, you only have to work mornings. Who's laughing now? And actually, it's pretty good pay if you drive the van. Just saying, you get to jump up. It's high up. Yep. You get to look in everyone's windows. You don't even have to touch the bins if you're in the van. But also... You get to piss off drivers on the way to work by being really slow and being like, lol. And also the kids who are like, oh God, I don't want to work in McDonald's. I think, you can't do fucking math. There's no way you McDonald's are hiring you. You're not clean enough to work in McDonald's. Have you smelt a teenager? (laughs) So, um, he... It's an interesting one because he totally changed just one day. So he married his childhood sweetheart. They'd met age twelve or thirteen, and she'd and they'd broken up. They they were on on again, off again, as you do a lot when you're teenage. And she'd married um, someone else and had children, but that kind of fell apart. So she met up with Mark. Do you think they met again on Facebook? I'm sure that's ruined so many marriages. I think they just still lived in the same area, so they ran into each other. And the fire was reignited and um, it, they totally clicked. And he totally invested in the children, which were called Emma and Bobby. And I always find the name Bobby really funny because I remember me and my brother when we were little, we used to think Bob was the funniest word. Like, you've just bobbed yourself. Stop bobbing yourself. Either, I mean, the documentary I watched and I watched I watched it on two different because it it froze up on my phone, so I played it, and it was a different version of the same thing. And the whole family had really weirdly deep voices. And I thought maybe... Were you it... just watching the video slower? Well, I thought that, but I I don't think I was. Because there was one that was two hours, and I thought, oh, well, it's obviously a documentary sped, slowed down to double. Then I watched the one-hour version, and they sounded the same. <laughs> I think... I think he must have had a Barry White voice and just passed it on to everyone. Maybe everyone in Yorkshire talks like this proper deep like in yorkshire loose so his wife Kay had a third child with him 
Um, and he was a very attentive, very loving father. Uh, so his daughter was called Alice. She described having quite a happy childhood in her younger years. And then he told Kay that he wanted to adopt her other two children. So he wanted to be with them full time. And so he married Kay so that he could adopt the children. Um, lovely. Respectable, lovely. And then... You don't have to get married. But lovely. Well, you do. You did then. Oh, yeah, for sure. To adopt it all sort of changed one day. Um, it was New Year's Day and he just, uh, they went out for a drink on New Year's Eve, Kate and Hobson. And he just said to her, I don't really want to be with you and the kids anymore. Stayed at someone else's house. And she was absolutely mortified. I mean, they had a lovely Christmas together. He seemed really happy. You've just adopted the kids. Yeah. So what do you do? Like, is he saying, like, if you've adopted them, then there's yours so even if you split with the mum is he still gonna see the kids that he's adopted or is he like actually they're not as appealing (laughs) gone off him i don't like that name no i think i mean he stayed in the area but it was just so sudden i was thinking did he have a blow to the head that sort of changes personality was there a brain tumor or something because it does seem really weirdly different but then i was talking to luke about it and he said that he knew someone in the same situation who had just literally all of a sudden just decided this isn't for me and that's it but it total shock to the whole family i would i would be on board with that he just had a complete change of heart but the fact that you mentioned he's a spree killer when as soon as you said that i thought was it a blow to the head because mm. he'd done nothing up until this point and then within two years his life dramatically changed until he was doing horrific crimes so i, I feel like it was something I feel like there was some, an undiagnosed something like an illness happened. that he illness. found out about and didn't want to tell anyone. Brain damage, uh, some sort of brain decay. I don't know. I feel like it was something. Um, so he stayed somewhere else. Then he left the family. Literally the next day, he packed a bag. Um, so he went round, said, "Yeah, I still want to leave you." Um, and left. But he continued living in Selby. So I mean, after that, they did sort of try and get back together. But he'd started drinking. Um, and he just, she said that he just wasn't the same and he started being really aggressive with the children, shouting at the children. The relationship just wasn't there anymore. And he, and in the end, she said to him, can you please go? Because he was different, um, and she wasn't happy anymore. So 2002 is when Hobson commits his first crime and he got really angry at his friend who he'd been friends with for years in the middle of the street, in the middle of the day. I mean, that's not to say he wasn't drunk already, but he stabbed him five times in the middle of the day in the street and he punctured his lung. So he had some stabbing equipment. Yeah, he'd, he'd obviously got something, a knife, pen knife. People used to carry pen on oh no, it's 2000. 90s was pen knife era. Um, So... Um, and it was such a small community, word got around really quickly. So Kay found out pretty quick because someone said, oh, do you know what your husband's just done? And he you wouldn't believe it, would you? She didn't at first. Oh, he's left me and now he's stabbing people. Yeah. And all he got was, because he'd never had any previous convictions, 100 hours community service for that. That's nothing. Stab me once, community service. <laughs> Stab me twice. Five times. For you. Look, I'm not the Proverbs person. <laughs> I like that. Like, you can get away with one stabbing. Like, everyone understands the need to stab at least one person. 
No. Like in your like you've got a stabbing allowance. You <laughs> use it wisely. Everyone's got a quota of one stabby. They have to have really pissed you off. One stabby day. So if you think that person deserves the stabbing, fine, but you're not gonna be able to stab the next person that pisses you off. No, and get I, away with that. I, I think about it more carefully. It would make me maybe not stab the people that were annoying me because I think, well, you could annoy me more. <laughs> so, following this, he met Claire Sanderson through some friends. Um, very pretty, brunette. Um, and they started dating and they got on qu- pretty well. But when they were both drinking and she had a bit of a drinking problem as well, so that was pretty regularly, they they'd get very volatile they'd get very argumentative they both moved in together and they lived above a pub which didn't really help because the temptations there isn't it i remember when i was at university um there were some people that were also at university and my friend always wanted to go to this one pub because she fancied a guy who lived above it and he was there all the time and he worked there but even when he wasn't working there he was just constantly in the pub so um they actually got barred from the pub, though, because she's... That they lived above. That they lived above. Never come downstairs. And that's good money. I mean, that's... You must regular. climb out of the window and go about your business. <laughs> um, because she smacked him with a pool cue and oh, she shit. bit him on the head. That's your one pool cue smacking for this year. You don't get any more. So... You can do two pool cues in your lifetime. <laughs> um, so Hobson... Um, would still see his family but when he went around he'd cause lots of problems so he'd argue with his children quite a lot they were getting a bit older now particularly the ones that he'd adopted rather than his well you would wouldn't you you'd be like you adopted me and you left me like that is a lot of mm. like that's a lot to for a teenager who would argue with the dad with their you know well, I think biological it... dad who stayed with them and loved them and was fine i me and my dad could argue over absolutely nothing <laughs> and he didn't really do anything that wrong well, I think he was seeking out the arguments more than them as well. And he, he would just take a dislike to who they were dating, even though really he had no claim on what relationship they were having anyway. Um, so he would sort of punch walls. He'd smash windows and he'd threaten to harm his own children. Um, his daughter talked about an incident where he'd started choking the older adopted daughter. So they pulled away. They started saying, well, we don't want to see you then because you're just so grim. Right. So here we get to the the crimes. 2004, so two years after the stabbing, um, Saturday 10th of July, so probably a nice sunny day, Hobson and uh, Claire, the girlfriend, went out for a drink at a, either a local pub downstairs or another one, if they're still barred, and then they went back to their flat. And Hobson... I mean, I don't know what the reason for, but he took a hammer and he hit her repeatedly over the head. So he struck her repeatedly. He left the hammer at the scene, so in the flat. He then washed her body whilst talking to her um, and then put a bag over her head. And I think we've talked about this before. A lot of the time when a killer will put a bag over the head is because they know the victim. They don't want to look at it. They don't want to see um, but he carried on talking to her as if she was alive and he spent the next week living in the flat with her body. So do you think it's like going into a state of shock almost, like he couldn't believe he'd done it? I th- Well, I, at first I kind of thought maybe, I mean, but it's, I mean, you don't mistakenly hammer someone to death. It wasn't like he was doing a sex game and accidentally killed her. 
yeah so it wasn't accidental it was definitely intentional but I think there's an element of sort of disbelief there but then one week after killing Claire Hobson telephoned Diane who was Claire's identical twin sister no yeah and said that Claire was ill and wanted to see her now what I originally thought was that he was going to get Diane to come round and then pretend to be Claire. Yeah, so like people would have seen her coming in at the house so they wouldn't know she was dead. They'd be like, yeah, we saw her yesterday. Yeah. We even, well, that would work. Even if she appeared at the house, they'd be like, oh yeah, we've seen her around. Which reminded me of a story. On Friends. <laughs> in my real life where, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't, it's, I'm not saying that a twin sister is like an armchair, <laughs> but... The story involves an armchair. I remember when I was about maybe 15. And do you remember my brother used to have house parties, which were kind of exciting? Like yes. he used to have a lot of friends. Well, it was kind of that time, where, like the summer, my parents had gone away and he'd had quite a few house parties, but he also used to like to go out to town. He was a big socialite. He and still I, fucking is. Yeah, he still fucking is. And um, but I woke up and I think it was really hot so my window was open and I woke up about maybe like 10 o'clock in the morning normal and um I could smell like this like do you know when like plastics burning it smelled gross and I was like holy shit what the fuck is happening to my house am I gonna die and it turned out that um, my brother had gone out got really drunk in town invited two strangers back to our house while I'm sleeping upstairs weird they'd come into the lounge like it's my parents house not our house um they'd come into the lounge one of them had been smoking dropped a cigarette down the side of the cushion in the chair and it just started smoldering but left it there not even said anything so it just started smoldering and like melting the chair so then my brother had said, oh, it's fine. And they just dragged the chair into the garden so I could smell it coming in from the garden. So I looked out my window. It's just That's this... the drunk logic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. like, it can burn just outside. So it's just this armchair with smoke pouring out of it in the garden. And I went into my brother's room and said, you are fucked. My parents are going to go insane. Well, our parents are going to go insane. And he had a plan, which was a really clever plan. My parents had two of these chairs and they'd recently given an identical chair to my brother's friend. So all he was going to do was phone his friend, go get the identical chair, put it back in the lounge, get rid of the other one. They'd never know. It's amazing. I mean, it's jammy as fuck. And is that what he did? That's what he did. They never (gasps) had a clue. Sorry, mum, if you ever listened to this. I want to tell her. Can I be there when you tell her? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She would lose her shit. I mean, she probably wouldn't care now because... She just got oh Nick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um You're still my favourite. <laughs> so um I'm not saying it's the same as that, but it's a little bit the same as that. If but, you murder one twin, just swap it with the other. Just get another one. Um but that's not what he did. Months before he'd said to people that he he felt like he'd chosen the wrong twin. Oh, fuck off. And that he wanted Diane. Although we do know some twins where there's like a good one and a rough one. <laughs> it's a good, yeah. Um, Emma's nodding. Um, so there probably wasn't a rough one in this case. Oh, okay. okay. But the ones that we know, yeah. Um, so when Diane arrived at the flat, 
he did exactly the same to her. He struck her on the head with a hammer, but he also sexually assaulted her and he bit her breasts really hard. So there were marks and problems with her breasts. And he also strangled her and he put a bag over her head. But he'd obviously t- like, touched her sexually and had sort of wanted to do weird things to her. Um, so these poor girls um, were killed brutally. He then, to add insult to injury, I think her boyfriend was waiting in the pub downstairs. So he went down and had a drink with him and said that the, the twin's father had died and they were both really upset and then invited him up to the flat. I don't, I mean... What was going to happen? What's the plan? Like, this is so unnecessary to kill the other twin, though. Do you think yeah. he, like, tried to convince her to be with him and she refused and that's when it went wrong? Maybe. What? I just thought, I just want the in whole set. In for a set. penny, in for a pound. Like, I don't know. Oh, no. Um, When you say spree killing, like, I imagine, like, on a rampage with strangers, but this is so... Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to say worse because they're both horrendous, but... The reason I found it is I was trying to look for... Uh, if there'd ever been a twin who'd committed murder and then the wrong twin had been arrested and gone down right. for it because I was watching... Like the prestige! Well, I was watching Arrested Development okay. um, where the dad had a twin and then he shaved his head. And... Have you seen it? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I couldn't... I, I found this through that. Um, now... Obviously, when the boyfriend goes into the flat, you've got one twin who's just been murdered, but you've got one twin who was murdered a week ago. So the smell was really, really grim. And Hobson said it was the drains. I mean, it must have smelled worse than drains possibly could have. So Hobson got him out of the flat without seeing the bodies. He's obviously hidden them somehow. And so the man had gone into the flat where he thought his girlfriend and sister were didn't see them yeah he'd said oh they must have gone to stay with the mother right so he said oh they're not here they must have gone like maybe shouted their names and said oh they've obviously gone home to the mothers because the father's died um so ian the boyfriend the next day went to the twins father's mother's and father's house to to kind of say i'm really sorry it was happened checking on his girlfriend found the father i mean answered the door you would be was alive so shocked i mean that's awkward isn't it oh you're alive <laughs> yes i'm alive and so they went to the flat together to because the twins weren't there obviously. I was say, well the game's up isn't it like it didn't yeah the, he didn't go far enough into it to think well what will happen when he realizes he's not dead yeah so hobson wasn't there but they found claire and diane's bodies and how mortifying for those parents to have lost two children um and and you have to see them in that yeah and there were also notes and one one was about diane saying diane use and abuse at will so you'd obviously had these sexual intentions towards the twin um so word obviously spread really rapidly around the community that these crimes had been committed, that it was um, Hobson that had done them. So word started getting back to his children and his family. So they had people, like strangers in the street saying, have you heard about your dad? It, well, it'd be all around that pub, wouldn't it? Yeah. And then, um, well, the police would have come and it would have been a big deal. But originally they, they told the family that it was a stabbing. So, obviously, the family were in complete shock. Then the police arrived and said, if you hear from 
um, Mark Hobson you to phone the police immediately. So, I mean, it is a scary thing to think how do children deal with, say, your parents get charged with murder or paedophilia. It's such a horrible thing to have to deal with, isn't it? It's just... I don't really know how you get over that. But obviously he'd been sort of descending into this state for a while, so he kind of detached from him a little bit. It's not like he was a loving father who'd done these things at that time. So he went on the run... And the murders made national news, so his photo was everywhere. And it soon became clear that there were more victims. So, about 25 miles away, um, Hobson had gone into just a random house, probably to take money so that he could get further away um, without drawing anything out of a bank account because that would have flagged him up immediately. So he went into James and Joan Britton's house. Now, they were in their 80s and they'd been married for 50 years and no. James, yeah, I know. James, uh, James Britton had Parkinson's, and Jane Britton could barely walk. So they were really kind of getting to that age where maybe they should be in a home or have some protection or help, but they were just sort of helping each other. Um, a very sweet couple, and he'd entered through an unlocked back door, which I mean, I don't even think twice about bothering to lock my doors you just think well when I came over now I didn't know if you were back or not and I saw the door was open and I was pretty sure like that doesn't mean they're in (laughs) I was like I could just go in and sit on the sofa by myself (laughs) like that doesn't mean anything at this house I mean I nearly I was thinking have I left a key out they're probably somewhere (laughs) so even if we're not in she could probably just let herself in um and so he'd gone straight upstairs probably to rob them and then um, found nothing and then he'd attacked the couple quite savagely and he'd beat them to death with a walking stick so I mean not really any motive for this crime at all so uh, or they possibly targeted them because they were easy to get in like mm-hmm. another couple he might not have been able to just barge his way through to steal their money yeah um but why kill them just go true just go um so uh, Obviously, there's two double murders in the area. Immediately, they think it must be Hobson, but they couldn't originally totally tie in with him because he doesn't know them. Um, but then forensic evidence, so fingerprints, did link to Hobson. Yeah, and he's not being careful and planning yeah. anything, is he? So, mistakes. And people said that they'd see him in the area, and he did have quite a distinctive face, <laughs> to be honest. So, And his photo was everywhere. So, after that, he spent six days. He didn't leave the area, but he just... Um, slept in a ditch under a hedge for six days and 500 officers in the local area were looking for him they were handing out flyers with his photo on obviously they could track um with cctv and they thought that he hadn't left the area because there was there was no evidence oh he'd also got a lift to a local so he'd got his mum to drive him to a hospital before the murders became apparent so he'd kind of got that 25 miles away through a lift from his mum and then he'd run from the hospital um and then the reason that he did get caught was because he went to a local garage to buy water and cigarettes because after six days that's what you want most you need a flag yeah and the garage worker instantly recognized him plus he looked like shit like he looked like he'd been living under in a a ditch in a ditch for six days so he phoned the police immediately you live living in a ditch was (laughs) one of the major slurs of the 90s as a kid yeah oh yeah you live in a ditch though yeah, that's just say to everyone. Like, no matter what you were, you did not want to be living in a ditch, no. or being dead in a ditch. 
I don't know how many ditches there are anymore. <laughs> I don't know of any ditches. But if you die, not space for a you're going to be in a ditch. Like my mom was convinced I would be dead in, in a, a ditch yeah. specifically. Whether she thought that I wasn't good at walking <laughs> like, next walk- to slight inclines. <laughs> like, walking home, falling in a ditch. But also we're so built up there's no there's no room for ditches anymore every ditch is filled with cement and they built a house on top of it i mean my house is inches from my neighbors there's no fucking ditches around here um so then he obviously was going to go back to his little ditch and then thought i think that guy might have recognized me probably because he's looking at him weird um so he tried to walk back another way um and the police caught up with him um and sort of chased him into a field and he was dehydrated he was taken to hospital and then he was questioned straight away admitted to the murders so that's making me think he's not a psychopath like there's it does no seem idea like here. some sort of like we said before some sort of injury or illness sort of thing because it just like yeah. it's complete change and then it's not planned and he doesn't really seem to be obviously he's on the run so that's trying to escape but the law. Not but then well. he can, like, yeah. He's not I good would at say, it. Was there an insanity plea? He's like one of those rubbish people on Hunted where they literally just go down the road and stay in a tent. It just seems like he doesn't know what he's doing. Like, it's just... There was no... Pl- he just pled guilty from the beginning. So there's no sort so of... So they wouldn't do an insanity plea? I don't think so. I think he said... That's like what happened in the Unabomber, Manhunt Unabomber on Netflix. You should watch it. It's super interesting. Oh, my God. But he was trapped. Like he wanted to. Oh my gosh! It was. I felt really sorry. He killed three people. Yeah, but they. He had no choice. They made. They they broke him down until he pled guilty. He didn't want to be insane. He wanted to get off on a technicality, and they trapped him. Stop! Stop sympathising with murderers. This is not what this podcast is about. Is he still in prison? Maybe you should write to him. He is still in prison. Yeah. I know. It was just. It was just really well acted. Yeah, maybe you just fancied the actor. Um, so he was he was um, found guilty because he said he was guilty, um, and he was sentenced to lifelong imprisonment. And I think he wasn't expecting that because when they said lifelong, they meant forever. Um, so he did appeal against this on the basis that he was like, "Oh, well, I told you straight away." Yeah, I was honest. Be kind. And why have you given me so long? What about two hundred hours community service? But even if they did a life sentence for every person he'd killed, he'd still never get out. Yeah, and he was only—I mean, he was only thirty-four when he'd done these crimes. He was very young. Um, so during his stay in prison, prior to the court case, um, this is something that quite a lot of people quite like him for, which is weird, but um. He'd um, attacked Ian Huntley, do you know, the, ca- the caretaker who yeah. murdered the two schoolgirls. He'd poured a bucket of boiling water over him. Um, so a lot of people were like, oh, it's the only thing. Oh, in prison? Yeah, in prison. Oh, I was going to say, if you're going to kill a lot of people, like. Go for him. Yeah, in prison. He was obviously kept with him. So he had put in solitary confinement. And I think he was in solitary confinement for three months, which really would make you go insane, I think. Um but so I think he also sort of appealed against that but obviously he was a danger to other people within the prison um he reportedly blamed alcohol for the murders and becoming an alcoholic but he was also taking heroin which probably didn't help oh we'll just sneak that in <laughs> yeah. but also a lot of people take heroin they don't go around murdering their girlfriends oh I guess and their twin sisters and nice elderly people um and there has been an investigation into lifelong imprisonment so in 2007, they did kind of reconsider, can we do this? Is this a breach of human rights? But currently, there are no plans to change his sentence. 
So you never know, it might change. I mean, it would be scary if at some point they did sort of change it and let them all out at once. Because, I mean, it would make a good sci-fi film, but I don't think the reality would be very nice. No. Um. Yeah, so, I mean... It, That'd consi- be a weird episode of Big Brother. Considering I don't think I've ever heard of him, that was quite a creepy yeah, one. I feel like we should have done. Especially just being... For UK. Young like teenagers out on the streets when he was on the run. No. You'd think we'd have been aware of it. In Yorkshire. Our oh. biggest danger was a ditch, not the men <laughs> living in the ditch. Right. Okay, well, that was a good one. Thanks, DC. That's the end of our episode. Um hit subscribe we never ask people to hit subscribe hit subscribe we never tell them what the concept this is a podcast violently it's a podcast where we talk about uk true crime (laughs) you can subscribe to it then you get to listen every week you get to you can you you can you get to write a review if you want to give you that a five-star review you 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 can if you want to become a patron a patron of the podcast and where you'll get access to the mother daughter slaughter episode i mean i haven't done she hasn't done one for a while but she has got one in mind for the next one and i promise i'll try and get her to do it in the next week and um we've also got some new um get, designs coming up for stickers yeah so you get sent stickers but i'm we're on in the process of getting some more exciting ones because you might not just want our face so um we've there will be a new cute stickers. little slash and dasher coming a little slash and dust sticker um and you if you sign up for enough you get a tote bag they are limited edition it's only ten dollars i think that's pretty decent i mean you could sign up for a month and get one and cancel please don't but you definitely could <laughs> fuck it it's ten dollars we've got I'm telling you to cancel. um and then uh what else can they do Join the Facebook group. Join the Facebook Chat group. Chat to us on Twitter. Email us. Sort of the podcast at gmail.com. Um, so, and just keep listening and telling your friends about Follow the Follow us on Instagram if you like dogs and fireplaces. And vegan food. Okay. <laughs> so thanks for listening and have a great week. And we will um, see you again soon. Bye. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.